Good morning, friends. <clears throat> this morning's reading comes from Psalm, chapter 16, beginning at verse 1 through to the end. So that's Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour oil out, I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Good morning, everyone. If you haven't met me before, my name's Matt. I'm one of the elders here at Wollongong Baptist Church, and uh, I'll be uh, taking us through Psalm 16 this morning. So uh, please join me as I pray. <coughs> Almighty God, Please uh, help us to understand your word rightly with the help of your spirit. Please grow our conviction and our joy in you as our highest good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just after finishing uh, Year 12, my best friend, also called Matt, and I visited another friend, Pete, in New Zealand. And uh, it was, I think, after New Year's in uh, January 2007 that we went up to Auckland and went on to a place called Goat Island. It's a pretty unassuming island just off the coast and uh, our intention, along with Pete and some of his friends, was to swim out to the island. Um, unbeknownst to me, as, as a very inexperienced ocean swimmer, uh, there was a great deal of water moving that day and it wasn't in a good way. So as we got into the water and we paddled out to the island, we found ourselves about halfway very, very quickly. And as we paused and talked and decided what we were going to do, uh, Pete had already turned around. He'd said, look, this isn't for me. I'm going back. So he went back and made it safely to shore. I stayed in and uh, there weren't enough flippers for everyone, so I only had one flipper. And when I decided to turn around, I said, oh, you have my flipper. I'll, I, you know, I'll be going back. That was a mistake, a huge mistake, because I, as I fought and fought the current trying to get back to shore, I wished I had a flipper, even one. And it was really, actually really scary. I thought I was probably going to drown. I didn't think I was making any progress. I thought I was going to be stuck in this water forever. Unbeknownst to me, Pete swam out to me. He left the safety of the shore, came out to me just to encourage me. He couldn't drag me along. He wasn't much better, a much better swimmer than I, but he was there. 
And at that moment, in those moments there, my refuge was Pete. He had been a good guide. He'd shown us lots of places and had given us good recommendations and knew the roads of New Zealand very well. However, that didn't matter to me in that moment. It was just him being there. He was my refuge then. In Psalm 16, the, uh, David is praising God for the refuge that he is. Uh, and we're going to see that it's, it's refuge in the person more than just the gifts that God gives. So the big question we're going to answer is, what does it mean to find refuge in God? The first thing it means is devotion in delight. Devotion and delight. And we see that in verses 1 to 4. Keep me safe, my God, David says, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. It's a bit unclear what a, a miktam is in the, uh, the, the little superscript under the heading Psalm 16. Um, but from the context, we can see that David is pretty concerned for his life. He's a pretty rough and ready guy. Like, he lived in the desert for some time. I couldn't do that. Um, he was a fearsome warrior and was quite happy to chop the heads off people. Um, so I imagine it didn't take much. Uh, it took a lot for David to feel afraid. However, in this psalm, he's seeking refuge. And we see it later on when he's talking about death uh, in verses um, 9 and 10 as well. So possibly David's life is under threat, although the circumstances are very scant, so we can't put too much uh, weight in that. As we, as we look through the psalm, you may have noticed as well that you'll see Lord in capitals, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and uh, that's the way the Hebrew name Yahweh is uh, translated and transcribed for us in English, and that's the personal name of God. And David uses this name four times in the psalm. Uh, and this name God used when uh, he says he's the God about Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. Uh, and it's the name of God forever, as God says in Exodus chapter 3. So David knows this God very personally. He's not a distant God. He's not uh, someone, uh, an unknown deity to David. He's a, he, he is God. He is his God. And to David, this God is the highest good. He says it in verse 2, Apart from you, I have no good thing. And David can say these things because he's devoted to God. He, he, and I, we would understand and agree that all good things come from God. But David goes further that apart from God himself, he has no good thing. David's delight in God is so total and so complete that even the good things God gives pale into comparison with the goodness of God the giver. 
And this, devo- this devotion is alive with delight in God's people. And it's more than just God's people, Israel as a whole nation, but he says in verse 3, the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. It's more than just toleration, right? It's more than just acceptance of the other people who happen to follow Yahweh. It's delight in those who are faithful to God. And this is repeated in the previous psalm in verse 4. Who may dwell in the sanctuary of God? Well, it's those who despise a vile person, but those who honour those who fear the Lord. Paul writes of this as well in Colossians chapter 1, where he thanks God for the Colossian believers because he's heard of their faith in Christ and their love they have for all God's people. If we love God, we love God's people. And it's in stark contrast, isn't it, to those who run after other gods in verse 4. David knows what will happen to them. Is it more and more riches? No. More and more enjoyment of the good life? No. Suffering? More and more. And David wants no part of this. He resolves himself not to take part in pouring out libations, that is, drink offerings of blood, to other gods. Not even that. More than that, he won't even take part in uttering their names on his lips. He's not taking part in any worship practices or any prayer practices to these these other gods. And when you're committed to God, as David is, you reject all pretend gods. When I was a teenager, I uh, became involved in an archery club. My dad was sick of me just doing nothing on the weekend and so we went through the whole list of sports you could possibly do and archery was the one that stuck. And I ended up spending hours and hours and hours there every Saturday, probably much to my parents' delight. And I grew to love those people and not only that, I looked on other sports as kind of dumb and pointless. Like, why would you even bother? Archery is the best sport. Why go kick a football and play AFL? It's pointless. As we look back on church, what church has been like for us this year, we might remember and regret some of the ways that we've treated people here. This, the delight in those who follow the one true God hasn't been ours, perhaps. And we may have disregarded what someone at church has said to us because we think that they're dramatic or they couldn't possibly speak with any authority on that subject. Maybe we've judged people by how they dress or how they smell. Maybe people just rub us the wrong way and so we try not to give them even the time of day. But that's not the delight in God's people. That should be ours, is it? Of course there's people here that are going to annoy us and bother us. And the New Testament's full of examples of uh, believers having to bear with one another in love and having to say truth to one another. But these are our people, right? These are the other people who have committed to follow Christ with us and encourage us to keep going. They're flawed people, for sure, but they're our people. 
And what a good God we have. His goodness exists beyond the circumstances of our life. So when we have to stop and take a breath because we're getting older and our ankles and our knees hurt and our hips hurt and we just need a break, we can say, as David does, the Lord is my Lord. Apart from him, I have no good thing. When you're racking your brains about what to do with your kids over the holidays, you can say to yourself, the Lord is my Lord. Apart from him, I have no good thing. And maybe if you're a kid bored at home on a rainy day, maybe you could try and memorise some Bible. You could start with Psalm 16. If you're here and you're visiting or you're checking out Christianity uh, and you want to, uh, you, you think that this is a bit silly and you don't understand how people can say that the God of the Bible is this good, my encouragement to you is to read the Bible with someone you know and you trust, someone who brought you here today perhaps, and think and talk over with them what the Bible says about this kind of God. We've seen that for those who take refuge in God, devotion and delight will be theirs. Secondly, we also see contentment in verses 5 to 7. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Now these words portion and cup and lot and lines and inheritance, they're all very land and produce language, aren't they? And the backdrop to these verses are about 500 years old when God gave the land of Canaan to his people Israel after they left Egypt. They had to divide the land between 12 tribes and each tribe were given their boundary lines and the land was described as their inheritance. And you can read about that in Joshua, chapters 13 to 19. And uh, the land was divided by lot. Each tribe didn't really know which bit they were going to get. But to the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, whose job was to administer offerings and to serve God in the tabernacle, they didn't get land because we read in Deuteronomy 18, verses 1 and 2, that they that their inheritance was the Lord. God himself was their inheritance. He would take care of them and provide for them in a way those with land wouldn't experience. So this is more than David just praising God for the good things that God has given him. It's praising God for the kind of God that he is, a kind of God that is so satisfying and so sustaining that it's just delightful to have God as his God. And to know and be known by this God is to know provision and permanence far surpassing, in our case, stocked shelves and home ownership and maybe something for the kids after you die. This God is also a God who communicates in verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. This counsel for David came from the law of the Lord, as we see the Psalms reference in Psalm, chapter, in Psalm 1. And so when David says his heart instructs him, it's as if he has taken the word of God so thoroughly into his heart and into the depth of his being 
But as he lies awake in his bed at night, he knows what God has said to him. When you have your sports team, they, they are everything to you, aren't they? You, you, you're a cut and dried whatever supporter and it doesn't matter. If they win, that's wonderful and it kind of propels you through difficult times, doesn't it? And when you lose, it's hard, but you keep going because they're yours and they can do things for you that seem to be able to surpass what ordinary life gives you. And that's at this point... I think we need to recognise that the way David talks about God here may not be our experience. We may not know the same contentment that David does. We may not know the goodness that God is for ourselves. We might not feel the delight that we think we should. And David talks later about gladness and rejoicing. Maybe we're finding it hard to do that at the moment. The Anglican uh, pastor Graham Benyon in his book on uh, emotions uh, says this, it's easier to feel rightly for concrete situations around us than for spiritual truths. We can see and touch the physical situation. We can't see or touch the spiritual reality. This is why we will always have to work at reminding ourselves of truths about God and feeling rightly in light of them. When we actually see something, the feelings usually flow by themselves. And so if your experience of God is um, less than what David is describing here, don't give up. Keep going back to God. In James 1, in, ja in the book of James, James says, uh, encourages people to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We might not feel these things at the moment. Maybe we have in the past, maybe not currently. But the Lord is where we need to keep turning and we need to keep putting this, the, the truth of God's word into our hearts and holding on to it. We've seen that uh, for those who take refuge in God, they're committed to him, they're devoted and delighted in him and his people. They know contentment that surpasses their yeah, um, current experience and they also know confidence in verses 8 to 11 I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand I will not be shaken therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful ones see decay you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David's eyes are always on the Lord. He knows where he is all the time. And having God at his right hand means something like knowing the enabling of God. And this devotion and contentment is, is physical for David. It's about his whole body. It, causes his heart to be glad and for his tongue to be rejoicing and praising God and he knows peace. 
and the confidence in David's mind comes from resurrection in verse 10. The praising and gladness and rejoicing is because God won't abandon him to the realm of the dead. Nor, more than that, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And the identity of the faithful one here is really crucial because it's not David. David died and he was buried. But there was one who didn't even rot in the ground as David did. And in the New Testament, we see it worked out more fully and more clearly that the Lord Jesus Christ is this faithful one who did not see decay. We've seen it already this year, but we'll go over it again. In Acts chapter 2, Peter says in his Pentecost sermon, from verse, uh, in verse 29, fellow Israelites, oh, sorry, he's just... Peter's just quoted uh, verses 8 to 11 of Psalm 16. And then he says this from verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And then he says in verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When Jesus was killed, it looked like that was the end for Christianity. That was the end of the followers of the way. Their leader was dead. But God raised Jesus to life. And in Peter's mind, it's firm proof that this is the Lord, the chosen ruler of God to rule his people. We also see it in Acts chapter 13 when Paul is preaching in Pisidian Antioch. He says from verse 36, Now when David had served his purpose, God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Not only is the Lord Jesus the Lord, God's chosen ruler over the universe, he is also the one through whom we can have forgiveness of sins. The weight of the curse from Genesis chapter 3 is lifted. We can know God and commune with him and know him as our father and know him as the highest good as David does because of the forgiveness of sins that we can know in Christ. And Paul goes on further and adds more when he's writing to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. He writes this, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life 
and immortality to light through the gospel. Not only is Jesus God's chosen ruler and Lord of the universe, not only is he the one through whom we can find forgiveness of sin, he is the one in the message of the gospel who brings light, uh, brings life and immortality to light. Death is defeated by the risen Christ, and it will not have a hold over God's people forever. Unless the Lord Jesus returns in our lifetime, we will die like David. But like David, we can be confident that our life now, a life lived by faith in the righteousness of God given to us through Christ, this life will extend into the future. And as we tell people the gospel and as we teach them from the Bible about the Lord Jesus Christ, we're holding out to them the kind of life that Psalm 16 is talking about because we're holding out to them the God of Psalm 16 who we know through the gospel. And this life forever, this forever life is a life of joy incredible joy, the kind of joy that we can't even imagine now. We don't have the bodies to, to imagine it or to deal with it. In verse 11, David writes in Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's the, kind, it's the richest, most varied most wholly satisfying joy and pleasure we could ever possibly imagine. And it's even more than that because we, we don't have the resurrected bodies to, to be able to enjoy the pleasure and the delight of seeing God face to face. The message of the gospel is unassuming about an unassuming saviour, but it brings life. Later in this New Zealand trip, uh, my friend Matt and I, we went skydiving and uh, we met the instructors and there were a lot of big burly people there. This isn't me in the picture, by the way, but this is where it took place. And I was looking at these burly guys and I was going, oh, yeah, I hope one of those, my instructor, they look pretty competent. Uh, and then this very small, petite woman walks over. She was maybe in her 40s and I was, she said, oh, I'm going to be your instructor. And I was like, oh, Okay. I was a little disappointed, honestly. <laughs> However, we went up in the plane and uh, we went out and she kept me safe as we fell through the sky and we landed safely. And uh, it turns out that she was the most experienced instructor there. She'd done about 10,000 skydive jumps before and she'd taken part in world record attempts. So I was very wrong to judge this woman by her stature. And she, uh, I could have confidence in her that far outweighed uh, what I thought. Death's, death is scary and it's painful. I went uh, recently to the funeral party of uh, a colleague who I used to work with whose 21-year-old son died of cancer. Uh, and it was funny there were lots of funny stories but it was really sad because it was pretty hopeless but that's not our hope that's not our future our future is one 
of incredible joy and delight with God because of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. For many of us, 2023 has been a long, hard year, and we are so glad today's the last day and we get to see the back of it tomorrow. For some of us, it's been a good, joyous year and we're eager for more in 2024. And for some of us, our experience of God this year has been joyous, maybe distant, maybe full of obligation, maybe a bit guilt-ridden. Maybe service has often has been offered begrudgingly and without love. Or maybe you've served God and through struggle and hardship. Whatever our circumstances, God is good and the one from whom we receive all good things. So strive to know this God, this good God. In reflecting on this psalm, the theologian John Calvin wrote these words. It will not suffice simply to hold that there is one whom all ought to honour and adore unless we are also persuaded that he is the fountain of every good and that we must seek nothing elsewhere than in him. For until men recognise that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that he is the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him, they will never yield him willing service. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. No matter our circumstances, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means we can know and love and be known by and loved by a good God. And we can know him as the author of life and goodness and even in this life know a little bit of the wonderful delight and joy in him and in his people. And we can look forward to immortality and life and incredible pleasure at his right hand. So in 2024, revel in and relish God, our refuge. Let's pray. Almighty Father, author of all life and goodness, please cause us to establish our complete happiness in you. Open our eyes to see you as the highest good. Lift our gaze to the heavens and look forward to, with joy to receiving pleasure from you at your right hand with the Lord Jesus and with all those who are yours. And we ask this through Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.